we shall now turn to the portion of Scripture which we read together, Exodus chapter 3, and uh, we'll read again verse 2. Exodus 3 verse 2. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not Consumed. What is God like? That's a very important question. Because one day soon we're going to have to meet God. You and I will have to stand before Him. And we must prepare to meet our God. Now people have lots of different ideas as to what God is like. The most common view in our own country today is that God is like a kindly old grandfather. Very loving, very forgiving. He wouldn't hurt a fly. That's a common view. How could such a God ever hurt anybody or send anybody to hell? Just this past week, I noticed, um, or was it the week before, a, a, a posting on Facebook by a young lad from a good Christian home. Christian parents, Christian grandparents, and um, and he was talking about how loving God is. And he said, God hates nobody. But that's not what the scripture says. The Bible tells us specifically that he does hate certain people. Psalm 11 verse 5 says that God hates the wicked. And of course there's that other passage that you know, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated and made his land desolate. And then this lad quoted that common saying, God loves the sinner but doesn't love his sin. But then you might have heard how R.C. Sproul responded to that comment. He said, God sends the sinner to hell, not his sins. God loves the sinner, but doesn't love his sin. But who does God punish? <clears throat> Punishes the sinner because you can't, you can't separate the sinner from his sins. The only way the sinner can be separated from his sins is if Christ takes the sinner's sins upon himself and deals with them. So this idea of overemphasizing the love of God at the expense of his holiness and his justice 
is quite contrary to the scriptures. We see here how God revealed himself down through the centuries. God revealed himself to Moses in this chapter. And he reveals himself to Moses as a holy God. It's interesting how several times in the scriptures we find the words, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. You don't find the words, love, love, love is the Lord God Almighty. God reveals himself to Moses and sends Moses to deliver the children of Israel out of Egypt and to form them into his church. Israel was the church of the Old Testament. So what I'd like us to do today is to ask the question, what is God like? And to try to answer that question from the passage before us. What is God like? And indeed, I wish to present ten points that distinguish God. And that tell us what God is like. And the first thing that we notice here is that God is a God who reveals himself. We have that in verses 1 and 2, don't we? Moses is there keeping the flock of his father-in-law and he comes to the mountain of God, the mountain where God would in future reveal himself, Mount Sinai or Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the bush. The angel of the Lord. Now, in the Old Testament, and also in the New Testament, the word that's used for angel is the same word uh, that is translated messenger. So the angel of the Lord is the messenger of God. And if you study the angel of the Lord through the Old Testament, you will see that it, it refers to God himself, and particularly to God the Son, the second person of the Trinity. And if you think of John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the beginning was the messenger, and the messenger was with God, and the messenger was God. The word, the spoken word, the great prophet, the great spokesman of the Trinity, that is God the Son. And he who sees me has seen the Father. I and the Father are one, said Christ. So we recognize the doctrine of the Trinity and the three persons in the one God. So we have here the angel of the Lord appearing to Moses. And this is a reference to God himself appearing to Moses. Now, man by searching can't find God. 
God is invisible. You can't see him. And we would never know God and never know that there was a God unless God himself revealed himself to us. So we need God to reveal himself. And it's wonderful that our God is a God who delights in revealing himself to the children of men. He's not a hid- <coughs> He's not a hidden God. He's not a God who delights in hiding himself. But rather, he delights in revealing himself. Now Moses had been raised up in, as you know, in Pharaoh's palace. Spent the first 40 years of his life there. And he had a kind of sense of destiny. That he was the one who was meant to deliver the Israelites from the land of Egypt. And you remember how he went out to see how the Israelites were doing. And he saw an Egyptian beating an Israelite. And he looked this way and that, thought nobody was watching, and then he killed the Egyptian. He wanted to deliver the Israelites from the land of Egypt. The next day he went out and he saw two Israelites fighting, and he tried to separate them. And he said, who made you a ruler or a judge over us? Wilt thou kill me as thou didst kill the Egyptian yesterday? The thing was known, the word spread around, and soon he had to flee. He had this feeling that he was destined to be the deliverer of the Israelites, but the, Egypt, the Israelites rejected him as their deliverer. Stephen tells us that in Acts 7. They didn't want him. Who made thee a ruler or a judge over us? But of course, Moses was acting on his own initiative. And he performed a crime in killing the Egyptian. It wasn't his place to do it. He thought he could do it himself. And for the next 40 years, he had many things to learn. Away there in the desert. But after 40 years of humiliation, God reveals himself to Moses. There he is in the desert. And God comes to him. God comes to him, revealing himself to him as the infinite, eternal, unchangeable God who in his being is wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. A God who's unknowable. Man by searching can't find God. But a God who reveals himself, who revealed himself to Moses. Has he revealed himself to you? Have you met God? Have you seen the God who is invisible. By faith, we see the invisible God. <clears throat> and before we can be saved, we've got to meet God and come face to face with him. So that's a first and very important point. God reveals himself. And then we're told that God appeared 
to Moses in a flame of fire in a bush. Verse 2. Behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. <clears throat> Hebrews 12 tells us, Our God is a consuming fire. He burns. And he consumes. And throughout eternity he will be consuming. Consuming the wicked. Burning them up in hell. Throughout eternity. An awful thought. Our God is a lake of fire. In his infinite justice. Who dare enter eternity without a saviour? But you notice that here the bush is not consumed. Now, no doubt Moses had occasionally seen a bush burning, maybe struck with lightning. But when the bush was burning, it got burnt. It was consumed, burnt up. But here's a bush burning and it's not burnt. Why? Because the bush has a message. It's revealing something to Moses. The bush is the church. And God is in the midst of the church. And you would expect the sinful church to be burnt up. But the church is not burnt up. God dwelling in the midst of his people, and yet his people are safe. They are secure. They are not burnt. So God is like a fire. It was indeed a strange sight. And Moses is very much surprised with what he sees. God dwells in his church. God is in the midst of his people. God loves his people with an everlasting love. God is as a wall of fire around his people to deliver them. And none perish that him trust. Those who know him, love him, trust in him. He will be their God and their saviour. Our God is a holy and a just God, but he's a loving and a gracious God. God is love. And that's a wonderful truth. God is fiery love, but he is love. And God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life God loves his people so that's the next truth God dwells with his people as fire but they are not consumed and then drawing more on that our God thirdly is a holy God when the Lord saw that Moses turned aside verse 4 to see, God called out unto him <coughs> from the midst of the bush and said, 
Moses, Moses, and he said, Here am I. And he said, Draw not nigh thither. Put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Moses, taken by this unusual sight, he moves towards the burning bush and God speaks to him. Our God is loving, but he's also holy, tremendously holy. Our God is so holy. How can any sinner approach a holy God? Draw not nigh thither, lest you be consumed. Put off thy shoes from off thy feet. God wishes, desires, and demands that we recognize his holiness and that we fear him. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And if you want to be wise, you must start by giving God his place, fearing him. Fear God and keep his commandments, for that is the whole duty of man. Fear God. Moses, put off your shoes from off your feet. You are in grave danger. You are a sinner. Show reverence before God. You need to be cleansed. You need blood to be applied to you. In the Old Testament, they offered sacrifices and blood was sprinkled upon the offerer. And that blood pointing towards Calvary. But of course, the blood of bulls and of goats cannot cleanse from sin. We need the blood of Jesus Christ. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanseth from all sin. Draw not nigh hither without a mediator. You need the advocate. If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. You need the advocate. You need the one to come in between, in between God and man. God is holy and God has to be feared. And if there's one thing that the church in Scotland today needs to discover, it's the holiness of God. There's so little of the fear of God. Even among ourselves. Very little true reverence and awe and wonder and conviction of sin and sense of need. The fear of God, that's true, not just Old Testament religion, but New Testament religion too. And if you go to the book of Revelation, you get a picture of God there. And you get all of heaven, all the great and glorious sinless creatures of heaven on their faces before the holy majesty of God.
if only, if only you and I had more of a sense of the greatness and the glory of God and feared him. The next point we have here is in verse 6. I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. God is the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Many years before this, he appeared to an idolater in the land of Ur. Abraham. Abraham with his fathers worshipped idols in Mesopotamia. And God appeared to him with an effectual calling. Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house and to a land that I will show thee and I will multiply thee and I will bless thee and make thee a blessing. And I will be a God to thee and to thy seed after thee. Abraham obeyed the call of God. Followed God out of Ur and from Haran to the land of Canaan. I will be a God to thee and to thy seed after thee. The God of Abraham, the God of the covenant, the God who enters into a relationship with men and women. The God who gave to Abraham circumcision, a token of the righteousness which is by faith. Circumcision, a sign of the covenant, so that he would apply it to his sons, Ishmael and Isaac. The God of Isaac, who chose Isaac and said regarding Ishmael, cast out the bondwoman and her son. The God of Jacob, Jacob who prevailed with God, a prince with God, Israel. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. I am the God of thy father, Amram, and Jochebed thy mother. Is he your God? Has he been the God of your parents and grandparents? What a privilege to belong to a covenant family. I thank God for my parents, my grandparents, and others way back. What a blessing. But friends, even although we're not children of Abraham by the flesh, the important thing is, to be children of Abraham by promise, by faith. Abraham, the father of the faithful, is he your God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of the covenant? I will be a God to you and to your seed after you. And as Jesus said, he's not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. Abraham, Isaac and Jacob are alive today. And all those who have their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, when they die, it's only the body dies, the soul goes to heaven. 
and is there in heaven until the resurrection. The next point we notice in verse 7. He's a compassionate God. The Lord said, I have seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. Our God is compassionate. He's not like Allah, distant, transcendent, far away, with no feeling, no no sense of compassion. Our God sees, hears, is concerned for us in our troubles and our trials. He's a God who's watching over his people, who hears their cries and their sighs and their tears. The most powerful prayer often is a groan, a sigh and a tear doesn't even have to be put into words. Before you call, I will answer. I love you. I care for you. I know what you're going through. I can see your agony. I'm aware of the lash of the taskmasters. I know the bitterness of your souls. Come unto me, all ye that labour and are heavy, heavy laden. Heavy laden. Come to me. Call upon me. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. In all their affliction, he was afflicted, and the angel of his presence saved them. What an amazing God we have. So high, exalted, majestic, magnificent. And yet, looking, bending down his ear to hear our cry. Compassionate. Concerned. Feeling for us in our misery. What a comfort that should be to each one of us. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. I will never leave you, nor forsake you. My God is my helper. Why should I be afraid? A compassionate God, a father to his children. Can a mother forget her sucking child that she should not have compassion upon the son of her womb? Yea, even they may forget. Yet will I not forget you, saith the Lord. How wonderful. Far more loving than the most loving mother. Always watching, always caring. The next point we have in verse 8. He's a saviour God. 
I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good land and a large unto a land flowing with milk and honey unto the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites and the Jebusites. Saviour God, I've come down to deliver. I'm the Saviour. Salvation is of the Lord. God takes the initiative. The Arminian says, you decide, you choose, you believe. You take the first step and then God helps you along. What utter rubbish. By nature, we're dead in sin. We can't take one step without God's grace awakening us out of our sleep of death. God must stir us up and then, and then we will repent and believe by the grace of God. Our God is the God who takes the initiative, who sees the afflicted and comes to save and who will certainly save his people. His grace is sovereign grace, freely bestowed, And he will bring the Israelites out from under the hand of the Egyptians, deliver them from their taskmasters, and bring them into the promised land, the land that flows with milk and honey. God has made great promises, made great promises to you and me. And whatever our afflictions are in this world, and everyone has their own measure of afflictions, And whom the Lord loves, he chastens. And some of those who suffer most are those whom God loves most, strangely. But he's forming them to be jewels in his crown. God loves, God cares, God saves. The name of our God is Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. Deliver them from Satan the Pharaoh and bring them out of slavery to the devil into the glorious liberty of the children of God. The next point that we have here in verse 9 is that our God hears prayer. Now therefore behold the cry of the children of Israel is come unto me. And I have seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppress them. The cry of Israel is come unto me. Remember these great words in Psalm 116. I love the Lord. Why? I love the Lord because my voice and prayers he did hear. I, while I live, will call on him who bowed to me his ear. He is a God who is the hearer and the answerer of prayer. A God who is rich in mercy unto all that call upon him. Ready to hear, ready to answer. He loves to deliver. And he hears the prayer. Jesus said, Hitherto you have asked nothing. Why are you so reluctant, my disciples, to ask of your Father? Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. 
Knock, and it shall be opened. For every one that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Ask. God loves to hear the prayers of his people. A prayer hearing and prayer answering God. I'm sure every one of the Lord's people here could tell us of wonderful answers to prayer. Even the children. I remember as a child praying for things. Things that I'd lost. And the Lord would bring me to the place where I had put the thing that I had lost. Very clear answers to prayer. It's always good to pray. You know how we are? We look and look and look for something and then when we can't find it, then we think of praying to the Lord and the Lord helps us to find what we're looking for. We're so slow, so slow to come to God. But our God delights in answering prayer. Remember what Spurgeon once said. He said, sometimes God doesn't answer us the first time. Why? Because he likes to hear us ask again and ask again. You know how it is with your children. You love to hear their first words. You love them to come to you. And we're so slow to come to our Heavenly Father that sometimes he doesn't answer our prayers immediately so that we'll keep asking because he loves to hear our petitions, our prayers. He delights in them. God is waiting to be gracious. Think of Saul of Tarshish, the Pharisee who often said prayers, empty, useless, ritualistic prayers. And then one day God said, Behold, he prayeth. He's now converted. How do you know he's converted? Behold, he prays. He started. He started to pray. God's people are a praying people. And our God is a prayer-hearing God. The next thing we notice in verse 10 is that he appoints a leader. He sends Moses to deliver the children of Israel. Come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Some people think that the church is a democracy and that uh, it's the will of the church that should rule. But the church isn't a democracy. It's a, a monarchy or theocracy, really. God is king. Jesus is the king and head of the church. And Jesus is the one who appoints the leaders. Just like God here appointed Moses as the leader. God appoints deacons, elders, and ministers. And it's our duty to recognize God's choice. It's not our choice. And when we vote, vote maybe as you will do in due course to call a minister, 
It's not a matter of who do I like or who's most popular or voting for this one or that one or we making our choice. No. It should be, Lord, who do you want to be minister here? Who have you chosen? Help me to see, Lord. Help me to recognize you're the head of the church. Who have you appointed to be minister of Inverness Free Church Continuing? That's God's choice, not yours. But you have to pray so that in that way he will guide you. As he guided Moses here and eventually guided Israel so that they accepted Moses as their leader. There were those, of course, who rebelled against the leadership of Moses. Remember Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. How they were saying, we're just as good as Moses. Why are Moses and Aaron taking so much upon themselves? What they were failing to recognize was that Moses and Aaron had been appointed by God. And it's a serious thing to challenge God's appointment. God appoints the leaders. The next point that we have in verse 11 is the promised presence of God. Our God is a God who promises to be with us. Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh, that I should bring forth the children of Israel unto Egypt? Who am I? I can't do it. I'm a nobody. I tried something 40 years ago and was a disaster. God says, verse 12, Certainly I will be with thee. Be certain of this, be sure of it. And this shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee. When thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God upon this very mountain, Mount Horeb, or Sinai, as it's called sometimes. God promises his presence. I will be with thee. Poor Moses, how could he possibly achieve this in his own strength? Never. And God calls upon us to do things that are impossible. How can a minister today convert anyone? How can a minister feed a hungry child of God? How can a minister lead the flock? How can elders lead the flock and deacons serve God? The work is too great. It's beyond our ability in and of ourselves. But with God's help, through my God assisting me, I overleap a wall. Doesn't matter whether it's two feet tall or twelve feet tall or a hundred feet tall, through my God assisting me, I overleap every wall. With God's help, the impossible is possible. I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. And you will serve God on this mountain. And that was a tremendous token, a great sign to Moses that God was indeed with him. And after they'd come to the mountain, he had still many, many years to serve God. Another 39 years 
looking after this difficult, difficult people, these Israelites, and shaping and molding them into the church of God. But God gave him a token, and God kept that promise, and God was with him. And by God's grace, he did wonderful things. So that brings us then finally to the name of God that we have presented to us here. Verse 13, Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers hath sent me unto you. And they shall say to me, What's his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am have sent me unto you. That's a wonderful revelation of God. It's an explanation of the name Jehovah. Jehovah means I am that I am. And there are wonderful truths to be found in that. I am the sovereign God. Sovereign and free and over all. I am that I am. And I am dependent upon no one. I'm the independent God. I am what I am. And I am the eternal God. I am the eternal present. I don't have a past and I don't have a future. I'm not subject to time. I am. And I am what I am, the unchanging God. Unchanging. I am what I am. And I will be what I will be. And I am the covenant-keeping God. I am that I am. The God that appeared to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. I am. And I am your God. And I am in a relationship with you. Because I have chosen you. And by my grace I have come into your life. And taken possession of you. And delivered you out of darkness. And I am the one who will dwell in your hearts. And I am the one who will take you to heaven. Where throughout the endless ages of eternity. You will be discovering the full meaning of my name. I am that I am. The sovereign independent, eternal, unchangeable, almighty God, the God of the covenant, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Is he your God? A word of two of application. Our God is great. Do we fear him, reverence and respect him? Do we worship him, 
in the beauty of holiness. And anything apart from holiness is ugliness. Do we trust him? He's a God worthy to be trusted. Do we put our confidence in him? Do we rejoice that he cares? I see. I feel. I, I notice the sighs and the groans. And are we looking for great things from this God? Our God is so great. Why then would we be, we be, be pessimistic with regard to the future? I am that I am. Let us face the future with enthusiasm, excitement and confidence. Let's pray. O Lord our God, we pray that we would get to know thee more and more, that we would think about God and meditate on him, that we would sit as it were at thy feet, learning from thee, looking into thy face, hearing what thou hast to say to us, that thy word would guide and direct our meditations, so that more and more we would get to know thee, whom to know is life eternal. So bless us, Lord, and bless us with faith in the great I Am. For Jesus' sake, amen. Amen. Our closing praise is Psalm 106. Psalm 106, and we'll sing verses 1 to 5. Psalm 106, give praise and thanks unto the Lord, for bountiful is he, his tender mercy doth endure unto eternity. God's mighty works who can express or show forth all his praise. Blessed are they that judgment keep and justly do always. Psalm 106, verses 1 to 5. Give praise and thanks unto
are as follows. The evening service at 6.30, prayer meeting on Thursday at the usual time, 7.30, and this week will be taken by Mr. Derek McLean. <coughs> Services next Sabbath at the usual times, 11 and 6.30, the preacher is yet to be arranged. The General Assembly meets tomorrow at Liberton Kirk, Edinburgh. The opening meeting starts at 6 p.m. The annual Sabbath school picnic organised by Port Mahomet, Free Church Continuing, will take place next Saturday, 28th March, at Ardross Community Hall. All are invited and welcome to take part, whatever your age. Please bring enough food for the number of people in your car uh, and it will all be shared out. Drinks, ice cream, etc. will be provided. There is no charge. Time is from 2 till 4 p.m. So that's next Saturday afternoon. All God willing. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen.